Okay, let's open a word of prayer. Lord, thanks for this day. We pray that you'll bless our time together. Um, as we discuss some pretty heavy topics today, pray that you will bless our time and that we'll understand that uh, God is in control, that you are in control of the situations that we see going on in the world today. Bless us today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, uh, May 1st, so I'm going to call this Mayday, Mayday, all fall down. Uh, this is a, uh, it, it, it is a very interesting time. Here are some of the platforms that we're on, uh, and there are additional ones I think we're on, might be on. I don't know if we're on Odyssey yet or not. But um, I did a podcast this week with Pablo at uh, his website is Serpents and Doves. I think it's Offhand Podcast. I don't know when it'll be up. Um, I'll try to post a link on my Facebook page and Twitter. I'm also on Getter, John Haller. I think they're all John Haller 54. Uh, Twitter, Getter. Um, I'm on True Social now, um, new platform, Telegram. So if you want to follow me there, that, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Um, the, so those are some of the things we're on. So I, again, Serpents and Doves, Offhand Podcast with Pablo. And I won't try his last name uh, from California, Southern California. And then on tomorrow morning, on two, uh, Monday, May second, I'm going to be on Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo, and that streams live on Q90 FM at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the things we talked about today, but it's a it's sort of a different format. So we'll um, you don't have to it's radio, so you don't have to look at me, uh, or you don't have to. You know, feel guilty about turning off the picture because uh, you don't like the way I look or something. That's that's fine. Um, so that that that'll be tomorrow. So we talk about the convergence of events and how quickly things are happening. Uh, we see all of these different indicators. At least I, I would call them uh, uh, foreshadows of, of things that we know that are coming. Uh, and then there's always a big argument. Are these are the seals open yet? Have the seals been opening for a while? Um, so I'm just telling you that as I look at it, you see the foundations being laid for all of those things to come about if, if they're not opening. We're moving closer to the midnight hour. Uh, a lot of people like to use that that clock thing. This is the framework that I use, acceleration, convergence, logistics, and understanding based in large part, uh, at least the understanding part on passages in Daniel chapter 11 and Daniel chapter 12, that the things in the book, the prophetic things that Daniel talked about, are sealed up until the time of the end. And at the time of the end, men will go, to and fro, and knowledge will increase. Now, I believe that that's, that's a double-meaning passage. It means that knowledge will increase, information will increase, the amount of information will increase, and we see that. We see that. We see these giant server farms being built all over the place that control data and information. And remember, it's knowledge is increased, but not wisdom. And we don't see a lot of wisdom associated with all this added knowledge. But it says, though, that the wise will understand. So I think the wise go back and forth, to and fro, through the book that God has given us. And they, 
the wise will understand and be able to instruct many. That's what it says in Daniel chapter 11. So we'll see if this is uh, indeed the time. So let's look at some of the things. Let me just start off with the passage, because I think this is a passage that came to mind quite a bit this week. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day I have, have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they, all they that put their trust in him. Boy, is this ever a time that we should be uh, following these words. Well, so I want to go over a lot of things today. When I did my podcast with Pablo the other day, uh, my computer was acting a bit sluggish, and I I must have had 250 tabs open in three different browsers with just information that I've been working on. And it's it's hard to concentrate because as I'm going through these things sometimes, it's all connected. It, it does all kind of connect back. And so it's like, oh, yeah, you know, here's something about the Black Sea. Oh, yeah, but what about uh, the wheat in Ukraine? That has to go through the Black Sea. And then, and what about, uh, you know, these the alignment of nations? Yeah, well, you know, here's Iran over here. Yeah, but what about Jordan? You know, and it's just like you're bouncing all over the place, and it's very, very difficult. So let me give you a framework. And so what you're going to see in the next few weeks is, and I'm not being prophetic here, I'm just telling you what I think is going to happen. So we know that the Supreme Court issues its decisions by the end of June. Their term ends at the end of June. And one of the major decisions, series of decisions or decision that's going to come out will be with regard to abortion. And there's a lot of thinking on the part of everybody that Roe versus Wade and its follow-on case, which is really the case that controls everything, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, that they may be overturned, limited in some way. The Supreme Court has allowed some restrictions on abortions to go forward. Uh, so here's a little bit zoomed-in thing on tracking abortion legislation nationwide. And a lot of states are putting legislation forth. Texas, Oklahoma, some banning abortion outright. Others are increasing abortion opportunities, like California, Connecticut. Those are going to be, well, they'll call them safe havens for abortion, but they're not safe for the child, of course. The um, Ohio has legislation, I think, that's pending. Uh, here's another a little tracker that they have. Um, there are some that have 
uh, 15-week bands. Some are Texas-style bands, which is more restrictive than a 15-week ban. Now, look, if, if somebody who opposes abortion, this is always a very controversial thing. And it's clear that to get these things passed, legislatures, legislators in those states compromised on the issue of abortion because they, you know, half a loaf is better than none is the thinking. And as moral people, we, we can, it, it's very difficult to accept this as the final end stage, but understand that as these abortion things become um, to the fore in terms of legislation and that sort of thing, there's going to be very disappointments to people who oppose abortion and who support life. Understand, too, that if the Supreme Court comes and rules against Roe and against Casey, you can rest assured that that case will not, it will not ban abortion in the United States. That is not going to happen. The best thing that the Supreme Court would do is say, well, the states are allowed to decide. And so what you're going to see is you're going to see a hodgepodge of laws. I mean, does anybody really think that California, New York, Connecticut, Washington, Oregon are going to restrict and, and ban abortion? That's just not going to happen. It's going to return it to the states. And so the fight then is not on the national level to get, legis uh, get Roe overturned. It's at the state level to get legislation introduced. And you're going to see a lot of compromise depending on the makeup of legislatures in the states and how people feel about abortion. I'm just, now, that's not something that I would do if I was in charge, but I'm not in charge and that's the world that we live in. But hopefully there will be some, at the best we can hope for now is a reduction in the amount of abortions. And we're paying the price for this. I don't think God is overlooking what the United States has allowed to have happen. That the United States has supported abortion around the world, even required other countries to get aid to put in certain abortion, uh, liberalized abortion. God's not happy with this. And it also has the carry-on effect or the, the demographic effect that you, we've wiped out, what, in the United States, 60 million children? I mean, what if they were in the economy, those children? And they would be paying taxes to support older people. This is a problem all over the world. So in countries where there's been one-child policies, we know that there is a problem. In, in Japan, their demographic collapse. Russia's in demographic collapse. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Iran is in the worst demographic collapse seen in human history. Now, that leads me to conclude that some of these things we're going to see happen that the Bible predicts are probably more likely to happen because those countries currently have people. But, and so Peter Zahn and some others, one of the reasons they think that Russia went into Ukraine now is because Russia knows that it doesn't have the people to, to maintain a, a multi-front war. Now, look, they've got a very powerful military. They've got the most powerful arsenal of nuclear weapons on the world. They have phenomenal nuclear submarines and that sort of thing. So they're powerful. 
But you also need people. You need people to put on the land, on the ground. That's very difficult. That's why when there are wars being fought now, whether it's Syria, Libya, uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia, those conflicts, a lot of times those involve, uh, um, I'm forgetting the term now, uh, the soldiers that come in and they're paid, uh, mercenaries, soldiers, mercenaries to come in. That's just the way it is because a lot of times they don't have the people. So, for example, Iran and Iraq had a war that lasted for eight years and it killed a million and a half people, mostly males and young males. Remember the horror that we had back in those days in the 80s when Iran was sending children in as soldiers, sacrificial lambs. So they did that back in the 80s. Now they're in demographic collapse. Do you think there's probably a connection there? Sure there is. And now today, and so when we look at what's going on with Russia, Ukraine, there's a dispute as to how many Russians have died. We know that at least by appears to have been admitted by Russia that about 10 of their generals, upper military people in Ukraine, have been killed. And the estimates of people killed range from the low thousands to 19 or 20,000. Well, those are largely male, and they're not going to, they're not going to go back home and have families. So that causes a problem. China, they have sort of the opposite problem. They have too many males and not enough females because of child selection that they had with their one-child policy. And the same thing has happened on a practical matter in India. So you have this problem going on all around the world. And when these things happen, wars happen. Wars follow. It's natural. So we're seeing all of these things happen. Now, this is the uh, president's economic report of the president that came out recently. The interesting thing is if you look for, for example, I typed in gender, and if you, if you look, you get this result. Uh, gender comes up 127 times in the economic report. Inequality comes up, I think, about almost 200 times. It's an, equi it's an economic report. What, what's going on here? It seems like they probably have an agenda. Everybody has an agenda. I saw a video this week. I didn't have time to put the clip in of teachers discussing what they teach to their children and how they discuss things. And one of the teachers was saying, well, uh, we need to change the language, the way we talk to our children on these issues so that it's not sex sexist or it's not offensive to transgender people. And as a transgender person, just my judgment, okay, I'm, consider me a, you know, a throwback, it looked male to me. He looked male to me. But this is what, so they put out this thing on physiology. So that, and they have this thing, this is adapting biology for all genders. This is going on in our schools. You can go to genderinclusivebiology.com um, gender and you can look up what they're teaching. They have lesson plans for kids. And so the, the teacher said, well, instead of saying men produce sperm or males produce sperm, we should say 
testes produce sperm. Scroll down another one, Brian. Uh, women produce eggs. No, 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 say ovaries produce eggs. Okay, ovaries produce eggs. And they're always in women. <laughs> I mean, come on. But you, you understand what they're doing is they're tearing everything down. And that's why they're doing it with the children. And I, I, I don't know what else I would call this, but grooming. Call me a conspiracy theorist. I'm only giving you facts. This is what's coming from theirs. So here's another one. When women menstruate, their bodies prepare the uterus for a fertilized egg to plant itself so a baby can form. Well, don't say that. It says this. For those with ovaries, the pituitary glands and ovaries interact to start menstruation. If you have ovaries, then you might begin to menstruate. Your pituitary glands may. Okay. And I would say, and when that happens, you can assure yourself that you are a woman, a female, as God designed. It's insane. So they, this guy also has this thing uh, on the, this gender-inclusive biology, nature is queer. And this is directed to five- and six-year-olds. They're tearing it all down. Uh, this is where I probably should say, Mayday! Mayday! So here's this. So this is just some economic news. Uh, we know in the end times there's going to be, we know with the uh, one of the horsemen that it's going to be massive inflation, there's going to be food shortages, there's going to be famine. And you, you know, in a world where we've lived with abundance for a good while, there are famines everywhere, but, you know, they always happen somewhere else, so we don't have to worry about them, right? Um, now we have a thing, and this is Financial Times, which is kind of a big admission for uh, this newspaper to say, uh, dismal data fuels stagflation fears. And boy, that's true. Stagflation is, you know, there's inflation, nothing's happening, employment's going down, inflation is going up, people don't have money, and it's a very vicious cycle to be in. And here, this is the uh, NASDAQ cap, the worst month they've had since 2008, the last financial crisis. And um, it's happening. So you see there's just like little pictures of it. Uh, as one who's practicing commercial real estate for a while, I see these things. There hasn't, there's still a logjam. People are sort of being able to extend their loans out. But that's coming to an end in the relatively near future, I think. I've been thinking this for a couple of years now. The, the pandemic sort of put the brakes on it. But this is Water Tower Place. This is a, I mean, when... Pam and I first got married, we used to go to Chicago a lot, you know, to eat pizza and go to a ball game, uh, that sort of thing, and go to museum, the great museums they have up there. And we'd always go to Water Tower Place. It was this phenomenal shopping mall. Well, now the food court's closed, their anchor store Macy's is closed, on and on and on. And so the owner of Water Tower Place, they own a couple other malls, Oak Brook, center and another uh, maybe Woodfield Mall and, and the suburbs of Chicago. They just gave the property back to the lender, so we don't want it anymore. You can have the property. You have a right to it. Good luck with it. Now, we know that this is Chicago's a mess. I don't know that I would go there. <laughs> if somebody said, hey, you want to go to Chicago? I'm like, I think about it long and hard. 
I mean, we came through there a few years ago, and we actually ended up on the south side because of the road construction. We ended up in a really bad area in the, late in the evening uh, on the south side of Chicago. And it was, I'm not very, I don't get nervous very often. Used to take the subway all over New York and everything, and it didn't bother me, but that bothered me. Uh, I was holding my breath till we got back to a freeway, uh, which in our view, freeway meant freedom. <laughs> we, would, we, would, we had survived. But wealthy areas of Chicago are hiring private security because this is a, this is a problem. Here's a report from The Guardian. And the funny thing is, when these things come up, now this is Guardian, the U.S. version edition of The Guardian, I just don't see a lot of this in mainstream media outlets like Washington Post, New York Times, and that type of thing. You just, they just, it's like, well, it's bad news, so we don't talk about it because that might undermine the regime, or excuse me, the Biden, Biden administration. And it does. So here's this. U.S. egg factory roasts alive 5.3 million chickens in avian flu call, then fires almost every worker. The calling has been repeated at chicken and turkey farms across Iowa and 28 other states from Maine to Utah. More than 22 million birds have been killed in an attempt to contain the outbreak in the majority in Iowa. The majority in Iowa, the U.S.'s biggest producer of eggs. The slaughter of 5.3 million hens at Rembrandt Farms is the largest calling at any factory farm in the country because there's an outbreak of avian flu. Now, a lot of people say, well, the avian flu is fake. I don't know. I just don't know, knowing farmers, just don't know that even big farms are going to go out and kill 5.3 million chickens at one farm. One farm in Iowa killed 5.3 million chickens. So guess what happens when chickens are dead? You can't eat them, and you don't get eggs from them. So, you know the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket? You'll have any eggs to put in your basket is the question. And this is happening all over the country. In, in New York State, they have put in place uh, all fowl shows. You know, I guess, are there chicken shows? I didn't know there were chicken shows. But there, I guess you can go to a chicken show. And, uh, and so there's, they've stopped them. So like state farms and that type of thing. Now some farmers are saying, well, we're not listening to you. We're moving forward. But the risk is if that this avian flu spreads, they'll have to kill a lot more chickens. And if there are no chickens, there's no chicken in the stores. There's no eggs or there's a reduced number of eggs. Supply and demand, prices go up. This is an interesting article, a couple pages from the New York Times. Uh, last week, bumper crops of frustrations as farmers can't deliver their harvest. And here's a picture of an almond farmer in the Central Valley of California standing in front of an almond harvest. What's the problem? Can't get the almonds to market. Rail cars are jammed up. Container ships are jammed up. He would sell almonds all over the world. So his almonds don't get to so-and-so. They don't have this. They don't have this. They can't make something to send back to here. And the whole system starts to break down. The other thing that's happening, I could give you 
tons of pictures of this. This is just California from the Drought Monitor, uh, drought monitor website. Uh, red is extreme drought. Uh, if you look at the western half of the United States, it's mostly in uh, severe, extreme, exceptional drought, almost all over the west. Now, this varies. You can go and you can see the progression of it from month to month. Last year, it was really bad. And as we drove around the west, we could, at least our eyes said, hey, there's a really bad drought going on here. Lake Mead in uh, California is now, or in uh, Nevada, which supplies a lot of water to Southern California and power, is at historic lows. At the beginning of the dry season, Lake Powell in Utah, Southern Utah, which supplies a lot of power and water for Phoenix, is at historic lows. So there are the two major, I believe those are the two major western reservoirs for a large portion of the population. Phoenix, I read this morning, has the highest inflation on feud and full, feud, food and fuel of anywhere in the country. Now, this is an interesting article. This is from a few years ago, back in, well, I guess two years ago, a year ago, March of 2021, from the Atlantic Council. Now, listen, I know Atlantic Council, they are essentially globalists. They were involved in the World Government Summit. Uh, they actually sponsored, before the World Government Summit in Dubai a month ago, in late March, they sponsored a two-day World Energy Summit talking about energy problems. So I know their orientation, but they have a lot of good reports. And one of the interesting report they had as I was kind of digging through their website was this report, Ukraine can feed the world. Now this is March a year ago. There weren't rumors of wars about Russia and Ukraine. There were some indicators that Russia was unhappy back in those days. But the Ukrainian farmland is so good that theoretically Ukraine could feed the world. But what's going to happen this year? Very likely no planting. Millions of acres. I assume Russia will plant, but maybe the war spreads to Russia. So there goes 30-40% of the world's wheat crop. It um, it is a problem. Editorial in this morning's, I don't know if this is New York Times or Washington Post, the world's next challenge, a global famine looms. But the U.S. could help prevent it. Well, not with all the green policies and everything that they're adopting, not without fuel for that farmers can afford, not without fertilizer. It's the, it's the perfect storm for all of these things to come about. Here's the head of Goya Foods uh, on uh, Fox Business the other morning with Maria uh, Bartolomo. Or is that how you say her name, Bartolomo? Whatever, Maria. We know her as Maria around our house. Uh, here's what he had to say. I mean, and he produces foods, high-quality foods. And so this is what he had to say. The price of items like dried beans, canned vegetables, flour, all up better than 10% from the same time just one year ago.
Joining me right now is the president and CEO of Goya Foods, Bob Unanwe. Bob, it's good to see you. Thanks very much for being here. Assess the situation. How do you see inflation today? Good to see you, Maria. We are on the precipice of a global food crisis. God created humanity. Humanity has created every way to destroy itself from nuclear, biological, chemical. But now we've waged a war. We've weaponized food. In the Ukraine, between the Ukraine and Russia, they represent 50% of the world's production of fertilizer. 30% wheat, 20% corn, 2.5 million acres of sunflowers, other uh, food and, and minerals. They also have sand for fracking, sand for glass. And, you know, they, they have, with Russia's doing with the land bridge, they're also cutting off the Ukraine to the sea. They've taken Mariupol pretty much. Odessa is left. If they cut off Odessa, then they basically landlock the Ukraine and they can't export. They can't either plant. Uh, right now, we're in the planting season in southeast Ukraine, where all these products are grown, they've attacked irrigation systems, they've attacked uh, train systems, and they've sent millions of women and children into exile. But let me say that we have provoked, in a way, this war by showing an incredible uh, weakness around the globe and lack of resolve to protect the women, children, and the innocent. It started in wow. Afghanistan. When, when we left women and children behind, usually women and children go first, we left them behind. And now they've sent yeah. millions of women into exile. And so this is true. And so what's happening to a lot of these women? The Taliban, they came in and they said, oh, we're going to send them to school. Don't. Are they doing that now? No, they're not. There are terrorist attacks going on in, in Afghanistan every day. Um, it's the situation's not improved. And look, his view is we provoked it by showing that we're weak. Others would say we provoked it by trying to get Ukraine into NATO. So that's the dispute. Okay, so we know there's a country being invaded and people are suffering and people are dying. And it's pretty bad. And look, I can look at the pictures. Well, I'll talk a little bit about the Ukraine war in just a moment. But... So it's exacerbating a worldwide supply shortage of a lot of things, in particular food. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, about the shipping lanes and that type of thing. Here's one. This is from uh, Times of London. HRT is rationed to ease shortages. What's HRT? Well, it's hormone replacement therapy. Now, you know, there, there could be a lot of jokes that, uh, you know, I might make at home uh, if... Uh, my wife wasn't holding something and <laughs> about, you know, so if you live in the UK, be careful who you might tick off because you might get a response that you're not prepared for. You know, understand what I'm saying? Now you can call me a sexist for that, but look, this is people, this is just one example of many that we could put in here. That's just one that happened to catch my eye. There are supply shortages all over. Told you last week, logistics nightmare in Shanghai. Here's the front page. Beijing gripped by buy panic buying as COVID cases show grave rise. China has a zero COVID policy. Cases are going up. They're shutting everything down. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. So what do we do? So here's, here's an example. This is a, a map from a few days ago. Uh, the red are tankers. The green are container ships. And it does show that 
seems like it, there's a lot of stuff moving around the world at one time. And that's sort of the miracle of the modern supply chain is that everything seems to get where it's supposed to be going. I bought a new computer about four years ago. I ordered it, got a notice within, while I was still online, that it was being prepared for shipment in Shanghai. And less than 30 hours later, it was at my front door. That's amazing. That's that's like a... That I, Consider that almost a modern, a modern miracle. But now all that's breaking down. So there's a satellite view of that, so you get a little bit view. Here's uh, a little bit zoomed in on the Shanghai area in China. And the, the circular ones, those are ships that are just sitting there anchored. They're not going anywhere. And then the ones that look like a ship, you can see the direction that they're going. But they're hundreds, thousands of ships and containers just stuck all over the place. Intel, which is building a big chip plant, chip plant here, the Intel CEO says the chip shortage will last for a while. And that's without China doing anything with regard to Taiwan, which is the biggest manufacturer of chips. And they're building what Intel says is the largest chip plant on the in the world out here. Chip plant, not chimp plant, chip plant. But it's not going to be ready next week. Let's hope it's online in a couple of years. Um, and so the, everything is just, you know, corn, soybeans, near records, add to inflation. Everything just seems to be uh, breaking down. This is an article I mentioned briefly last week. Oil ban could help Kremlin, warns the U.S., well, who's the one that's been running around getting everybody to not buy oil from Russia? The U.S. Now we're warning, hey, you know, it might help Russia that the ban's in place because it'll increase the prices. So this is the thing, this is where reality kind of strikes everybody in the face. Um, it's, the whole system is messed up. Now, I'm going to talk just a little bit about this, um, maybe a little bit longer than usual, because I think this is a very big deal. All right, and I'm going to give you sort of the historical basis and then some modern, up-to-date examples of this person in particular. Um, so this is a lady named Nina Jankowitz. She has been employed, employed by the Wilson Center as a disinformation fellow. I didn't even know there were such fellows in the world. Now, the Wilson Center, you know, that's the last time we had a, uh, uh, a globalist president, one of the last times we had a real true globalist president who was not competent. And now that's repeating itself. So she, so the other day, and we'll talk a little bit uh, about this. So what happened was the cat's out of the bag. Here's what I've been up to the past two months and why I've been a bit quiet on here. Now listen, if you, you can go to Instagram and Twitter and look at her social media accounts. She posts videos and that type of thing. I, the way I would look at her is this. It's Jen Pesuckerberger who likes to sing show tunes and put them up on Twitter. And some of them are pretty crude. And she has a picture up. She's like eight months president, eight, eight months pregnant. 
and she has been selected. The Department of Homeland Security has come out. Here was the announcement the other day on Politico. Department of Homeland Security is standing up a new disinformation governance board. What is a disinformation governance board? I was listening to an interview this morning with someone who, a watchdog in that area, an attorney, and she said, I read that, I thought I was reading The Onion or The Babylon Bee. Why would they even call it that if, if that's what they want to do? Why? Because it sounds like something right out of Orwell's 1984. Well, it wouldn't come out of Nor Orwell's 1984 because I think that he would, Orwell would say, I don't think they would ever be that blatant, but they are being that blatant. So it says here, to coordinate countering misinformation related to Homeland Security, focus specifically on regular migration and Russia. Nina Jankowitz will head the board as, an exec as executive director. She previously was a disinformation fellow at the Wilson Center, advised the Ukrainian Foreign Ministry as part of the Fulbright Public Policy Fellowship, and oversaw Belarus, Russia and Belarus programs at the National Democratic Institute. Now, what does that word salad mean? Here's what it means. She's a Democrat, a Democratic Party hack. And her thing is about, she is about disinformation herself. What did she say back in the 2020 campaign about the... Um, the Hunter Biden laptop. It, well, she, every day she was posting Russia disinformation, Russia, 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 Russia disinformation. And then the Hunter Biden laptop came out and what she said, that's a Trump campaign product. So we know that the reality of all this is that the disinformation campaign went the other way. I mean, there are people who've been charged with crimes about it. And there's still an investigation going on by uh, special counsel John Durham. And more indictments are expected, and he's interviewing people. And she just said, well, listen, this is, it has to be Trump. It can't be true because not to mention that the emails don't need to be altered to be part of an influence campaign. Voters deserve that context, not a fairy tale about a laptop repair shop. So what did they do? They brought forward the people who received the emails and the other, and said, those are all authentic. The laptop repair guy came forth and said this. And even the New York Times and Washington Post have come out and said, well... You know, 29,000 of the 125,000 emails on that laptop are, are real. And has she changed anything that she's saying? No. And so what's she going to do now? She's going to be dealing with misinformation and disinformation. A lot of people have termed what's being set up the ministry of the truth. Now, I want to go back and give. So she, she's big on context, so let's give. Let's give context, okay? So, back in July, July 11th, 2021, I've talked about this stuff for since, since then, since before then, that something was going on at the Department of Homeland Security, which, by the way, I think buys more bullets for guns for its agents than any other agency on the planet, in the federal government, except with the exception of the military. So they put out this tweet, family members and peers are often best positioned to witness signs of mobilization to violence, help prevent homegrown violent extremism. 
Now, part of this was, as I said at the time, this was a propaganda campaign. Okay, we'll, we'll be nice. We'll call it they were trying to control the narrative about what had happened after the election in 2020. And they were saying, well, everybody involved in that was a domestic terrorist. They, and they keep expanding that definition as to who is a terrorist. And you're going to see some things, I think, here that are just, they're frightening. I'll be honest with you, they're frightening with the tools that they have to collect data and that type of thing. So when I saw that tweet, I recognized those photographs because I had seen them somewhere before. So I did an image search, and I found they came from this publication, Homegrown Violent Extremist Mobilization Indicators, a publication that had been put out by the agencies, FBI, Department of Justice, and Department of Homeland Security back in 2019 during the Trump administration. And that report was, well, it says there, why was this booklet created? <clears throat> the United States and other Western nations face a heightened threat from homegrown violent extremists, heeding the call to violence from foreign terrorist organizations, including the Islamic State of Iraq, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, other groups. So they put that forward. But that's not the context of what they said, the FBI said in its tweet in July of 2021. It was about watch the people around you at home. Not associated with these foreign terrorist organizations. It's homegrown. Before it was homegrown because they were influenced by these terrorist organizations. Now it's changed. Um, it's changed. And so... If you go to that report from 2019, you will see here are the indicators. Preparing and disseminating a martyrdom video statement and last will. Well, we know, and then there's the picture of the guy with the ISIS flag. Here's the seeking religious or political justification for a planned violent act. So you see that there's specific things that they're doing, then that you go a little further into attempting to mobilize others, especially family members. And then you see the pictures that were in that FBI tweet here where preparing to travel to fight with or support terrorist groups. But it was overseas. And then number six, communicating intent to engage in a violent extremist activity, a threat with justification for action. So you see what they're doing is they've ported the narrative over from what we all agree was a problem, Islamic terrorism. Now it's domestic and it's you people who disagree with us. You see how they shifted the narrative? Narrative is very big these days. Now at the time, I cited a great article by Sam Faddis, um, who wrote an article last year called The Ministry of Truth Comes to Light. And he talked about an organization called GIFCT, which was a consortium of U.S. tech companies. It was formed ostensibly with the purpose of countering radical Islamic propaganda on the web. As of 26 July, that was 2021, not even a year ago, it was formally redirected to counter the false narratives of far-right extremism and white supremacists. 
if you pose the agenda of the Obama administration, you are one of the people that they are targeting. The consortium, or cabal if you prefer, consists of 14 companies, including Google, Facebook, Twitter, Alphabet, YouTube, Reddit, Snapchat, Instagram, Verizon Media, uh, LinkedIn, how many have a LinkedIn account, and file sharing service Dropbox. They maintain a shared database of content that has been deemed unacceptable. And Sam Faddis was exactly right. Go to Ann Magazine. I think it might be annmagazine.substack.com. Read it. And so what he was saying is, listen, the ultimate goal is to have complete, the complete ability to control all of the content on the web. This was the goal. Sam said this. This is July of 2021. As frightening as all this is, it is only the tip of the iceberg. GIFCT does not simply want to bar you from seeing content it labels misinformation. GFICT wants to feed you information that it believes you should use. It wants to actively shape your perception of reality and alter the way you look at the world. Wait, you might even think that people that sort of have this mindset might say that you, you shouldn't say that women produce eggs, you should say ovaries produce eggs. Do you see the connection? It does not simply want you to stop you from hearing what someone has, else has to say. It wants to force you to hear and see its version of reality. This is not conjecture. The intent is expressly laid out by the member companies online. They don't hide this purpose. Like true zealots, they champion it. In their terminology, these efforts are called counter-speech and counter-narrative. It is not conjecture. So he goes on, he talks about a company that a company called Moonshot CVE. And I talked about Moonshot CVE. It's a UK company, and they put out information. They're helping governments. So the example I use is they're helping the government of Canada to control the narrative, to redirect people who might be violent extremists, you know, like truck drivers. Just as an example that comes to mind. And Canada was deep into this. Like New Zealand, where the Prime Minister says, we will be your source of information and truth. Don't rely on anybody else with regard to this Charlie Vector thing that's going around. We just trust us. We'll, we'll tell you the truth. We'll tell you what you need to think. And isn't it interesting that this pivot happened all over the world and I think Jacinda Arden's comment was about that time. So they have a thing called the Redirect Initiative, where if you go online, you type in a search, it will redirect you to safe sites. Not what you're looking for, but for what they want you to see. It's called the Redirect Initiative. For example, when people search on Facebook for terms related to white supremacy, Results are directed to Life After Hate, an organization founded by former violent extremists that provides crisis intervention, education, and support. And here it says here, with the help of Moonshot CV's data-driven approach, Redirect is disrupting the connection between followers and the violent extreme content they seek. Well, now listen, if somebody comes along that's sort of a, a world leader, and... The narrative's not violent extremists, but what? 
Well, people who have this religious narrative that Jesus came to die for our sins and lead us and offer us the free gift of salvation, we need to redirect them to the, the leader who has this information on how people will have a better life. And so the narrative changes. You see, and now it's hard to believe that this is happening. Here's a brochure that Moonshot put out, Redirect Method Canada. So Sam Faddis goes on and say, the implications of this effort are terrifying. Now remember, this is July of last year. If you believe Joe Biden's abandonment of control over the southern border threatens national security, you will soon learn that you can no longer view coverage of what is really happening and that all of your search results are for, are for content assuring you that everything is under control and that only racist wants to control information. Does this sound like, it sounds like Sam Faddis is a prophet. He's a lawyer, so we know he's pretty smart. That's, that just kind of goes without saying, right? But he goes this, the First Amendment was based expressly on the idea that the free exchange of ideas combined with vigorous debate would lead to the truth. It was based on a fundamental belief that in the wisdom and common sense of the American people. GFICT and the rest of the Orwellian Ministry of Truth constructs propping up, popping up around the country represents something antithetical to the First Amendment. In fact, here, this is where I should have had the graphic of the wrecking ball swinging towards the Constitution. That's what's happening. So, if I had time to Photoshop, I would Photoshop Nina Jankowitz's face on the wrecking ball coming into the Constitution. Um, we, have, we have a massive problem. As Sam says, we are truly in, in truly dangerous waters. The foundations of the Republic are under attack. If we do not act quickly to counter this assault on our freedom, we may find, like the Russians before us, that we suffer long decades of tyranny and oppression. We did not destroy the Soviet Union and Glavit, only to replace them. Glavit was the Soviet propaganda arm, to replace them with GIFCT. And so they, what they do, like Moonshot, what they do is they try to dress this up. I mean, we all hate, especially Christians, we hate anti-Semitism. And this is the week that they um, remember the Holocaust. Holocaust Remembrance Day was the other day in Jerusalem. And it's very moving. Um, I don't have time to play it this morning, but um, I remember when we were at the Yad Vashem, and I've been able to extract the videos of some guys from Porne, uh, uh, Lithuania. Two young guys who were shot, they lined them up to shoot them and throw them into a, a trench. Like was done in, in Kiev, in Ukraine, back by the Nazis. And there were tens of thousands murdered. In Lithuania, it was something like 39,000. So they shot people, shoved them into a trench, brought others in, shot them, and dumped them into the trench. And these young boys were able to survive because what they did was they pretended to be dead and fell into the trench, laid there all night, and then the one moved and he felt somebody grabbing his leg, scared him to death. Turned out it was another young boy who had done the same thing. 
and they were able to escape and stay in the woods and everything until the war was over and survived. The stories, there's, go to Yad Vashem if you're ever in Jerusalem. This should be one of your first stops. It's just uh, incredible. Man's inhumanity to man. It's incredibly moving. But here they, they sort of wrap up, you know, your concern with anti-Semitism with anti-state-approved treatment conspiracy theories. And so they go through and they show how they're, they're redirecting people when they do searches. They also say, it also seems to be an overlap between people who don't approve of the state-approved treatment or might have concerns about it and people who talk about things like the New World Order, the Great Reset, and the Great Replacement conspiracies. So now we have a disinformation governance board at the Department of Homeland Security, which is in charge of the border. And this Mayorkas guy is one of the most despicable human beings I have ever I, I have trouble. So you're gonna, I'm going to let you show an exchange between he and a Democratic Congress person, woman, uh, about this, what's going on. And you see what they're doing is they're tying this disinformation governance board to the crisis at the border, which they all say is going to get worse. But so what will Nina Jankowitz be doing? She's going to be telling you, what are you going to do? You're going to believe me or your lying eyes, what you're actually seeing. And the government says this problem is going to get a lot worse if they take away Title 42. So here's Mayorkas testifying in Congress, I think it was on Wednesday. Another huge threat to our homeland is mis- and disinformation. You noted that it's a concern of yours at the border, with human smuggling organizations peddling misinformation to exploit vulnerable migrants for profit. One of my main concerns about disinformation is that foreign adversaries attempt to destabilize our elections by targeting people of color with disinformation campaigns. After it became clear that there was foreign meddling in our 2016 election, the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence authored a report on the disinformation tactics used by Russia's internet research agency, the IRA, to interfere in the election. The report found that, quote, no single group of Americans was targeted by the IRA information operatives more than African Americans. A newer trend that we saw in the 2020 election and already in the 2022 midterms is that disinformation is being heavily targeted at Spanish-speaking voters, sparking and fueling conspiracy theories. DHS and its components play a big role in addressing myths and disinformation in Spanish and other languages. Can you share what steps you've taken and what future plans you have to address Spanish language myths and disinformation through department-wide approach? Um, uh, Congresswoman, we have a number of different offices engaged in this critical effort. Of course, our Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency um, has an entire effort focused on election security. Right. Uh, as part of its mission set, our Office of Policy, Office of Planning, Policy, and Strategy, um, also uh, is a leading effort. Uh, uh, our Undersecretary uh, for Policy, Rob Silvers, is co-chair uh, with our Principal Deputy General Counsel, Jennifer Daskal, in um, leading a just recently constituted uh, misinformation, disinformation governance board. So we're bringing, uh, the goal is to bring the resources of the department together to address this threat. I just read a very interesting study that underscores the importance uh, of the, the point that you make, uh, the 
spread of mis and disinformation in minority communities specifically, and we are focused on that in the context of our CP3 and other efforts. And so what, what's the purpose of the ages? Was well, to tell people in minority communities who are being heavily impacted by the influx of immigration in terms of employment and, and jobs that are available and that sort of thing, that what you're seeing is not true. It's just a bunch of liars that are telling you this, and it's not really true. Everything is just fine. Calm down. We have your best interest at heart. And it's pure propaganda. It's pure lies. So here's a, you know, this is a, from the Wilson Center site. And they, they have a seminar, a webinar, and that type of thing. And so they, they have a publication that they put out. Uh, here are a couple of the publications that they put out. Malign Creativity. How gender, sex, and lies are weaponized against women online. And you'd understand that Nina Jankowitz wrote this a book about how terrible it is to be a woman online. It's just awful. In fact, she tweeted recently, um, I think this is her tweet, last week, when Elon Musk was buying Twitter, last week I told NPR, I shudder to think about, about if free speech absolutists were taking over more platforms. What is a free speech absolutist? Somebody who believes in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. We're taking over more platforms. And listen, the, Sam Faddis identified 14 a consortium of 14 platforms in that one group to control this. And they're, they're having a meltdown over one might be taken over by Elon Musk. That's not, it's not done yet, by the way. That would look like for the marginalized communities, which are already shouldering disproportionate amounts of this abuse. So, this is just, Unbelievable. <laughs> so I go back a little bit. Um, so here is Nina Jankowitz. So here's this publication they put out, Malign Creativity. You see here, authors, first one, Nina Jankowitz. And then here's another one, Freedom and Fakes, a comparative exploration of countering disinformation and protecting free expression. Do you, do you hear the or, you hear the, I mean, Orwell would be like, you guys, because I wrote about this in my book. And so then you see she's one of the authors of that. So she was as, so here's another thing about the authors of these different things. Here's the lady, um, Jillian Hunchek from Moonshot CVE. You have people from the Wilson Center, Oxford Internet Institute, and of course, Nina Jankowitz. Global fellow, look at where she, she's a Democratic Party hack. How do you do it? Just look at her bio. It's not hard to figure this out. Former global fellow, former Fulbright Clinton public policy fellow. Clinton, oh my, I seem to remember somebody named that that was involved. But she, so she's coming to control speech and information. Can we all agree with that? I mean, the, the evidence is overwhelming. But this is what she said back in 
May of 2020, when she was talking about the then president and whether government should control speech. Imagine that, you know, with President Trump right now calling all of these news organizations that have uh, inconvenient for him stories that they that they're getting out there that he's calling fake news and now lashing out at platforms. I would never want to see our executive branch have that sort of power. Um, and that's why, you know, the legislative process with our duly elected uh, officials is really important. That sort of consultative rulemaking process. Um, and we can't just govern by executive order anymore. I think I'll leave it there. Um, I think the reverberations in the free speech space are huge. Um, not to mention, this is exactly what Section 230 was designed to do, to allow the platforms to enforce uh, the standards on, on their own spaces. Um, so I think, you know, the entire conversation is being obviously blown out of proportion for political reasons. Um, yes. I'm super interested. But in the, in the more democratic countries, I'm thinking um, in particular of Poland. Poland has established this consultative process with its Ministry of uh, Digitalization and Facebook. Um, because, like the Trump administration, and I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, uh, Law and Justice Party got this idea from the Trump administration, they, uh, they believe that there's anti-conservative bias on Facebook, even though there have been multiple studies that prove otherwise. Uh, and they have this consultative process where they send someone from the Ministry of Digitalization to discuss with uh, Facebook's officers in Warsaw all of the instances of uh, unfair content moderation, and some of them are being overturned um, through that political pressure. They have a tip line that people can kind of report when they think their content has been unjustly overturned. And the Trump administration has a similar thing. So it's providing a lot of fodder for anti-democratic um, online governance. And it's, it's very, very scary. And I think this is really where Congress needs to step in. Um, I think we're, we're seeing cooperation ramp up on a number of levels. So I will be completely honest and say that my program at the Wilson Center is partially funded by Facebook. She's funded by Facebook? So, listen, so here, here's the thing is, you know, there, there are certain things that, uh, you know, you're always searching for, right? The truth, uh, an honest person in government, uh, an honest person in the, the, the new ministry of truth that they've called the Disinformation Governance Board. And you're always, you're always hoping you're going to find one of those people, Right. So she was against this government control of speech. Look at what Poland's doing. Well, she's doing exactly the same thing now. So you, you know, if if, in the, if you need an example of hypocrisy, here you go. She wrote a book called "How to Lose the Information War," and Sam Faddis has this great article that just came out the other day. As soon as this came out, he comes out with an article, the Bolsheviks make their move. And he's exactly right. In early 1917, the Tsar of Russia was overthrown in a true popular uprising. The Bolsheviks, the antecedents of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, were then a relatively small component of a broader, largely democratic movement. In short order thereafter, however, Lenin and his cronies showed their true nature. They had no interest in allowing the people to rule. Democracy held no attraction for them. What followed was a Bolshevik coup, plain and simple. All pretense of respect for the popular will was discarded. Dissent was suppressed. 
Opponents were imprisoned, convicted of their right to rule and their, uh, and their own infallibility. The Bolsheviks seized power and crushed Russian democracy. We see the same forces at work today. Joe Biden's administration is wildly unpopular. His policies are a failure. An administration that respected the principles of democracy would change course, evolve, and seek to regain the people's trust. The powers to be in and behind this administration have no intention of doing so, however. They have nothing but contempt for the American people. These are zealots infused with a Marxist ideology and convinced of their own almost divine right to rule. Growing opposition to their policy means only one thing. The opposition must be crushed. Now, I stand by everything that I say, and I'm sure that... I, if I was never on a list, I'm on a list now. This has been what's going on back in February, and I've covered this, and we're only going to talk about this for the rest of the time today because I, I could go, well, I'm on slide 84, and I know I have at least 150 more. So, uh, so I will do a midweek update this week, and then you can get some more information about some things tomorrow in my interview with David Fiorazzo, 10 a.m. Eastern, on Q90FM.com in uh, Green Bay. But this is the bulletin that was issued. Summary of terrorism threat to the homeland. And remember, there were all these things that came out. Law enforcement have expressed concerns that the broader sharing of false narratives and conspiracy theories will gain traction in the mainstream environment. So that, that was, this, was a couple, this was a couple years ago. That was a bulletin, and then they updated it in February of 2022, just three months, not even three months ago, and it was the same thing. And so they summarized there, this, and they, you see how they've changed the narrative from what it was, that we we're concerned about people spreading false information, to now they're going to be more specific. Now it's going to be called, well, here's what it says, heightened threat environment fueled by several factors, including an online environment filled with false or misleading narratives and conspiracy theories and other forms now of mis, dis, and malinformation. MDM has its own acronym. Introduced and or amplified by foreign and domestic threat actors. So if you're giving something that's contrary to the government-approved Pravda, Truth Ministry of Truth, or Disinformation Governance Board, you're defined as domestic threat actor. These threat actors seek to exacerbate societal friction to show, sow discord and undermine the pu public trust in government institutions. And so what have we seen over the last couple of weeks? Well, here comes Barack Obama out of this basement. I mean, and it's NBA playoff time. I'm, you know, he loves basketball. So why is it, but you got a problem. Got to get that narrative back on track. This is the Barack Obama, who before the election, I think in 2008, said, we are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. I took that seriously. And everything he did proved that. And so now the current O'Biden regime is making good on this. And they've got to trot him out to do speeches 
at University of Chicago and Stanford. By the way, he was not a law professor in the true law professor sense at Chicago. He was a lecturer. But here he comes. And I think, isn't that where he's going to put his uh, library that he's going to build? Also known as the Barack Obama Library, Ministry of Truth, Chicago Division. The, and then it says here, look at what this has all happened, the heightened threat landscape. The convergence of the following factors has increased the volatility, unpredictability of this. Proliferation of false or misleading narratives, which sow discord or undermine public trust in U.S. government institutions. Like, that didn't happen by anybody that was opposed to the Trump administration. They, they, they just, they went along with everything, right? And then continued calls for violence directed at misleading narratives, and mainly with regard to past elections and the Charlie Vector situation. So you have misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and this threat says, and it tells you what they're doing, the proliferation of this. Um, for example, there is widespread online proliferation of false or misleading narratives regarding unsubstantiated widespread election fraud and Charlie Vector, 019er. So, um, and to show the connection, here is Steve Cohen, at a recent Wilson Center webinar back in March. So we have this bulletin come out in February and March, Steve Cohen, the ambas US ambassador to the United States. And I think he used to head up Comcast. And he might have given money to the Democrats and that's how he got the, the ambassadorship. Surpri I know this is surprising that people think government works this way. But here's what he had to say about, well, you, you'll understand where he's going. I am a believer um, that the best way to combat speech that you do not agree with is with more speech, um, and that you and that, that that that's the way the best democracies in the world need to function is to overpower the speech, the hateful speech, the speech that you do not agree with, with speech touting the benefits of of democracy. And the, and the benefits of our society. And I can't think of a better partner than Canada for the United States to have in promoting more positive, pro-democratic speech um, at home and around the world. And so I think, I, th I think that is the, it's the only antidote that I know for hateful speech. And by the way, I've also had multiple discussions with um, Foreign Minister Jolie, I think she's exactly right about the dangers of, of disinformation because disinformation um, interferes with the movement of speech. And The Foreign Minister Jolie is the Foreign Minister of the nation of Canada where he's the ambassador. So he was saying more speech, right? Now we move forward, what? six weeks, and we have a government disinformation board, or 
Disinformation Governance Board. Department of Homeland Security also put out these slick brochures. These came out just uh, a couple weeks ago. Disinformation stops with you. And all these things like, you need, this is the steps you need to take. You need to trust people. You need to double check. And you need to go to things like, well, you need to go to our fact checkers. Because they'll tell you the truth. So when I mentioned earlier that we're always looking for an honest person in government, we're also looking for a non-conservative who's been disciplined by Facebook. If, you, if any of you meet one of those, please send them my way. I'd love to have a chat with them. And so they have all these things, you know, like don't like things too much and, and you know, don't get, so you have to question the source, recognize the risk, then it, um, you have to investigate the issue, think before you link, that type of thing. But this is much bigger issue than just the United States. Understand that the EU this week enacted a thing called the Digital Services Act. The Digital Services Act shows that online platforms cannot do whatever they like. Now, a few years ago, I was talking about legislation being introduced in, in France and also in the EU that would restrict what you can say in social media. Because they, they only have to get it enacted one place. So the the tech platforms, they're not going to say, well, we'll have a separate section for the United States and a separate section for EU. Now, they're going to go with the most restrictive, and they don't care about the Constitution that we have here. But you would think that the people in our government who swear an oath of allegiance to that Constitution would actually, you know, like, show allegiance to the Constitution. I hope you can sort of transfer this stuff over to things in the church. You would hope that people who profess to be part of the church, the evangelical church, they would do things like believe the things that the evangelical church should believe. But no, it doesn't happen that way. So they've put up, and so here's a, a cover page for this big document that they uh, have enacted this week. Here's, a, I think, a Netherlands um, this is one of their goals in doing this Digital Services Act, opening the black box of platform algorithms. So we can understand why you're causing things to get propagated more quickly. Like, you know, some people have figured out your algorithm, and we, we need to figure out how to stop them, so we need to help you. We're the government, and we're here to help, so what could go wrong? From now on, platforms will have a transparency obligation of their recommendation systems. If you, any of you have dealt with our tech overlords, you know that that's uh, a less satisfying experience than calling customer service at, say, your mortgage company, or your cable provider, or your internet service provider. You know, the ones where you have to go through like 18 choices before you might get to a person. <sighs> um, I don't like those phone calls, by the way. My wife will testify to that. A possible mechanism of emergency response in the event of a crisis. We cannot rely solely on platforms' goodwill when facing crises, pandemics, or wars. 
Europe needs a legal tool to require large digital players to react quickly in case of emergency. Ukraine war prompts Europe's new emergency rules for the Internet. Within the broad package of rules, the crisis mechanism was among the most controversial. It looks like the war in Ukraine created a political opportunity for advocates of tighter restrictions to push their agenda, said Daphne Keller, Platform Regulation Director at Stanford's Cyber Policy Center on Thursday. That's pretty normal politics of bad law. And so what they've done is they've put in place, this is a little video that the EU put up about, you know, this, we're, this is all for your good, it's all for your benefit, we're trying to protect you, we just want, you know, everybody to be accountable, we don't want anybody to be upset, we want you to be empowered. And th- this is a pure propaganda piece. They don't care about that. They want to control what you see and and read and understand and learn about so they can control what you think. And I would suggest to you that, like Yuval Harari, who I played the clip of him going to Google back in 2015 in Silicon Valley, saying, I love coming to Silicon Valley. Because this is where, what what did he say? The religions that will control the world are being created. Now that ought to be, if you're a student of Bible prophecy, you ought to look at that and think, this sort of fits into that scenario. Now, how quickly all this comes together, I don't know, but I can tell you in a year what's happened just by what they've put out. I can tell you that the Ministry of Truth director was saying two years, less than two years ago, We don't want government controlling this. I can show you that six weeks ago, the U.S. ambassador to Canada saying the best antidote for this is more speech, more information. It's not what they're interested in now. And what you're seeing is you're seeing governments all over the world do this. You add into this, EU, Europe is building... um, facial recognition system. I was listening to Bill Koenig, my friend, last night at a conference in Wisconsin saying, you know, he came back from the U.S. and from Israel uh, this, just a couple days ago and didn't have to get out his passport or anything. Just went up to the machine, took a picture, and we did this five years ago when we came back from Israel. And it, 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 gave, all the, it gave a picture of your passport just from looking at your face. That quick. Boom. This is what somebody said at the European Digital Rights Association. What you're creating is the most extensive biometric surveillance infrastructure that I think we will ever see in the world. And it has the support of some politicians in the U.S., For too long, tech platforms have amplified disinformation and extremism with no accountability. Now, listen, the the irony that's dripping off of this tweet, you know, if, if, if irony were water just from this tweet, the world would drown. The EU is poised to do something about it. I urge our transatlantic allies to push the Digital Services Act across the finish line 
and bolster global democracy before it's too late. Because she's, among of all the people in our lives, she's been the one who's been most concerned about truth in, in our democracy. It's actually republic, but truth in our politics. She's the, she's the patron saint of that, right? I'm trying to match her um, hypocrisy with, it's not possible. So this is from the New York Times a week ago. EU aims to make big tech police its platforms. And then the lament, oh, it's terrible, the U.S. legs as Europe promotes tech laws. And then from the New Yorker, this article, how Congress can prevent Elon Musk from turning Twitter, the one platform out of 14 in this consortium, back into an unfettered disinformation machine. Regulating content, and uh, she says this, but none of Musk's suggestions address the fundamental issue of which approach Twitter will now take toward content moderation. Will the company maintain the heavy investments in artificial intelligence and human monitors that it has made in recent years? Will it expand these, or will it move in the other direction, dismantling them and allowing for the return of former users that has suspended or banned, particularly Trump? And the author of this article in the New Yorker says, regulating content in a manner consistent with protecting free speech may be a trickier proposition, but the EU has just provided a roadmap for how it could be done by putting the onus on social media companies to monitor and, monitor and remove harmful content. Ben Scott, the executive director of the advocacy group Reset, <laughs> What? <laughs> I thought the reset thing was a conspiracy theory. And here's an advocacy group called Reset said this, it's the first major attempt to set rules and standards for algorithms, systems, and the digital algorithm, algorithmic systems in digital media markets. And of course, this whistleblower from Facebook she writes, I blew the whistle on Facebook, and Europe has showed us the next step. And it'll all work out okay. Here is, uh, they don't want to control what you think, do they? Well, here's Google Docs this week. If you have Google Docs now, it will suggest for you inclusive language as you're typing. So you might say landlord It'll suggest proprietor. It will say mankind is now humankind. A policeman is police officer. Housewife is family manager. It's an interesting editorial cartoon of Elon Musk. And so here's, here's the next change in the narrative. So they're always got to watch the narrative, the overarching thing. So, you know, oh, we want more speech. Well, now we need, we need to protect against disinformation. And now we've hired Gina, Nina Jankowitz, who says you can't even be a woman online and feel safe. Although she's posted, I mean, go look at, you can spend hours going through her Facebook or Twitter and, an Instagram post and all her 
show tune things. She loves those. Some of them are pretty raunchy, by the way. But, but here's the new narrative. Twitter's problem is an excessive content moderation. moderation. It's user safety. So Robert Reich, two years ago, he was complaining. This is, uh, no, July 7th, 2021. Trump is suing Facebook, Twitter, and Google for violating his First Amendment rights by keeping him off their platforms. Someone should remind him that they're private companies to which the First Amendment doesn't apply. And you hear that, but they're really public. But now this is Robert Reich of today, now that he's been... Nina Jankowitz dies, or whatever you call it. Musk and his apologies say if consumers don't like what he does with Twitter, they can go elsewhere. But where else would consumers go to post short messages that can reach millions of people other than Twitter? Oh. Okay. So now you're not really in favor of it. Even the British government, which you think is sort of conservative, number 10 Downing Street has issued a warning to Musk over harmful content on Twitter. You know, things like uh, Boris Johnson, I guess, had parties when he shouldn't have had parties. This is, um, there's also a guy, so back to uh, Sam Faddis' article, and I think I'll close, I have just, couple more things and we'll close up. All of this is occurring, he says, under the direction of a gentleman in the White House named Joshua Geltzer. Geltzer is a special assistant to the president and special advisor to the Homeland Security Advisor on countering domestic violent extremism. In this role, Geltzer oversaw the creation of the new national strategy for countering domestic violent extremism. This is what that absurd document talked about that I showed you, the disinformation, malinformation, disinformation. Geltzer took office almost immediately after Biden moved into the White House. In short order thereafter, the Pentagon established what amounts to a commissar whose job it is to identify and remove from the service all those who refuse to swear allegiance to the new ideology. You know, the woke ideology that's coming into our thing? Bishop Garrison is officially the senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense for Diversity and Inclusion. He runs something called, guess what, the Countering Extremism Working Group at the Department of Defense. His job is to hunt down and purge from the ranks all those who do not accept the new doctrine of critical race theory and do not believe that America is an inherently racist and evil nation. DOD doesn't just stop there, however. It also works with private tech companies to control what its employees can see online. Using sophisticated software, these companies redirect your Internet searches so that they are steered to content DOD wants you to see and away from sites it wants you to avoid. In some cases, it feeds you content deliberately created to shape the perceptions of the world. This is exactly what Sam Faddis was writing about a year ago, not quite a year ago. And here we are 10 months later. So this is, I believe this is directly rated to Bible prophecy and the control that's going to come. And it's going to be propaganda. We know from Daniel, the, the Antichrist is described as what? Mr. Mr. Big Mouth and the supreme liar. 
Like, we've never seen that in government before. But this guy's going to be on an epic scale. Now you have the technology tools to implement it. And people like World Economic Forum, The Great Reset, Klaus Schwab's book, The Great, what's, the, what's his follow-up book? The Great Narrative. Because we're going to control what you think. So this is where we go. And then he talks about Google Docs. Ever since the birth of the Republic, we have enshrined the principle of free speech. It has been accepted without question that every American has the right to speak his or her mind. We have trusted the free market of ideas and understood that it will ultimately show us the truth and weed out lies. That's Sam Faddis about the new Bolsheviks. The people in power now do not accept that principle. They do not believe in free speech. They understand that it is their enemy and will expose them as the liars and charlatans they are. Free speech must be crushed. Democracy must be subverted. The Bolsheviks in Washington know what they must do. They are making their move. And I think this fits into Bible prophecy. They're, they're using things like digital currencies, programmable digital currencies, that type of thing. Here's a, a paper, Central Bank Digital Currencies, a solution in search of a problem. Actually, in the UK, they're sort of like, we don't really need these things. But then they're also jumping on Musk, who doesn't even own Facebook, Twitter yet, that we need to control this. And you see they're putting people in place that don't have any respect for this. This is Supreme Court or uh, Circuit Court nominee Nancy Abudu. And she was questioned by Ted Cruz, point blank. Hey, you work for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, when you were there, did you agree with them that they called me and some other senators sitting right here, they called us white supremacists? Do you agree with that? And she said, well, I don't know what all their policy positions are. Well, that's some good lawyer there. You, you didn't pay attention? And she's up for a nominee. So here is, I think this is a great example, personally, Listen, I know we're supposed to be speak the truth in love and all this stuff, but sometimes the truth hurts, you know? And you got to confront it directly. I think Jesus did that at times. And I think we're at that stage where you got to speak up. As an online commentator, I like would say, you know, stop the feminization of manhood. But enough about David French, he would say. And if you don't understand that, go read David French and you'll understand. So here's Congressman Chip Roy from Southern Texas questioning Mayorkas at a hearing on Thursday in Congress about the southern border and what's going on. This is, I think this is epic, so I'm going to play it just because I liked it. The only plan that you offer, the plan you just offered, is to process aliens faster and encourage more to come. We know that to be true. I know it's true. You know it's true. Cartels know it's true. And people around the world know it's true. And that's why people are coming. That is false. The secure, it's not false. Yes, it the is. The entirety of your plan says that. The Secure Fence Act of 2006 says what? That the Secretary of Homeland Security shall take all actions the Secretary determines necessary to achieve and maintain operational control over the entire international land and maritime borders. 
Will you testify under oath right now? Do we have operational control? Yes or no? Yes, we do. And we have we operational are, control of the borders. Yes, we do. And Congressman, and we are working to. So what operational control defined in this section? The term operational control means the prevention of all unlawful entries into the United States, including entries by terrorists, other unlawful aliens, instruments of terrorism, narcotics and other contraband. Do you stand by in your testimony that we have operational control in light of this definition? And Congressman, I think the um, Secretary of Homeland Security would have said the same thing in 2020 and in it, 2019. No, the, the, well, the Secretary would have at least had a basis for saying that we have some sort of control of the border. But the fact is, we currently have people flowing across the border, including dangerous narcotics, and dangerous members of terrorists, which your own agency sent a letter to my office after eight months. We sent a letter saying there are 42 people on the terrorist watch list that are in the United States. You just said to Mr. Jordan, you don't even know where the hell they are. Yet your office is using parole. But when you use parole, the fact is they're not showing back up to ICE. Your own letter to Senator Johnson, to this, uh, this committee, have acknowledged they're not showing back up to ICE. I mean, how can you be saying that you have operational control or that we're securing the United States when they're not showing back up? Congressman, are you... Um actually interested in the facts and the law? Yeah, because I'm actually, I'm reading you the law and I'm actually talking to you about the facts about who's in this country. Actually, you're now, let, now let's actually go to something that's... Uh, Chairman, can the witness be allowed to answer Texas. the question? Well, there wasn't a question there it's to be... The gentleman's time. Point. Now, now let's talk about the damage being done to the United States of America. Mr. Secretary, did you, Secretary, do you know what this is? This is a mobile morgue, a body trailer, needed by counties in South Texas, overwhelmed by dead migrants. That particular trailer is filled with these bodies, 27 bodies that were stored in this mobile morgue in South Texas with dead bodies of migrants. Dead bodies like this one found on a ranch just three weeks ago in South Texas. A dead migrant. Somehow that's compassion. How about the dead bodies found by migrants? Compassion. How about the ranchers who had to walk out of their door, and this is what they face, gentlemen with rocks threatening a rancher in South Texas only able to be saved when they are able to bring their dogs out to scare the people away in order to save themselves. Or the fact that you've got houses being attacked, you've got livestock dead on the side because we've got ranches wide open. How about the little girl here with a brand on her arm? A little girl with a brand on her arm because of your policies. A little girl here in the desert found by ranchers trying to save their life. And how about the lost voices from people dying from fentanyl? The hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of Americans dying from fentanyl. Faces, faces of Americans, faces of Americans across this country dying because of fentanyl pouring into our country. The time of the gentleman has expired. You know full well. The time of the gentleman has expired, Ms. Encouraging people to come here, harming Texas and harming this country. Time you know the, it. And you're ignoring the The time of truth. the gentleman has expired. He no longer has time to slander the secretary. Ms. Scanlon. Not slander. You know what slander is? Thank slander you, is Secretary Mayorkas. Ms. Scanlon. Ms. Scanlon. Thank you. Now watch secretary this Pennsylvania Mayorkas. congresswoman. Over here. Thank you for being here today to address the many issues under your jurisdiction, including the important task of how we can ensure our national security while honoring our legal and humanitarian obligations. I appreciate you coming here prepared with facts and plans to help us do that job. Now you understand why Philadelphia is falling apart? Another city that I love. Spent a lot of time there. Weeks on end 20 years ago. Love Philadelphia. Listen. We are, uh, 
Mayday. Mayday. On the day on the calendar, may have never been more appearing. And so what do we do? Well, I've shared this verse many times from Romans 16. Stand firm in the faith and act like men. Go to Ephesians. Read Ephesians 6 about arming yourself with the whole armor of God so that what? You can withstand the wiles of the devil because that's what you're seeing going on in this world today. That's not a biblical, biblical, I mean, that's not a political statement. That's a biblical truth statement. It's happening. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. So I'm going to do the interview tomorrow. Uh, the one with Pablo should be up this week, I think. And then um, I'll do it midweek. We'll talk about um, you know, there's a war in Ukraine that's leading to a lot of overflow into the Middle East, which does impact issues related to Bible prophecy. And there's, it was an unbelievable week on the speeches coming out from everybody in charge of Iran about Israel and getting rid of Israel. It, it was a flood this week. It's almost impossible to keep up. So we'll, we'll do a midweek sometime in the middle of the week. <laughs> I'm not defining middle of the week. But, um, you know, look, the Lord's coming. And he's going to clean this mess up. He's going to set up his kingdom. And uh, in the meantime, you know, there's a lot of different theories on when we get out of here. But we don't know how bad it's going to get before we get out of here. I know this, it's already bad and we're still here. So, you know... Be wise. Act wisely. So let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for the blessing that you gave us to tell us about the parameters of things that were, would be coming on the world so that we could stand firm in an evil day. And we need to understand, help us to always remember that this is a spiritual battle. And the answer for that is a spiritual answer, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And give us opportunities to share that with people. Bless us as we go about our lives this week. Give us those opportunities to share. In Jesus' name, amen.